With that being said, Acts chapter 6, we want to look at Stephen, a man who was full of faith and full of power, really a disciple whose life resembled that of his Lord. I want you to see tonight, as we look at this deacon, how God uses him. Remember last week, we saw how the apostles looked at the congregation and they said to them, you choose from among you seven men. We need these guys who will come along and serve in practical ways in order to, um, in order to meet the needs of the congregation. And as we'll see, or as we saw last week, also to promote the kingdom's growth, that the gospel would continue to go forth. We see these seven chosen. They are serving faithfully. But then Dr. Luke gives us this gives us this picture, this snapshot of Stephen, his ministry, his message, and even his martyrdom. I want you to see this beginning in verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of faith, some of your translations may say full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Now, just look at this description of his ministry. Here you have Stephen. It says, full of grace, full of power, full of faith, and full of of power. Remember that when the apostles wanted the congregation to look at these early deacons, they wanted them to consider people that were full of faith. They were full of wisdom and they were full of the Holy Spirit. They wanted those kinds of people to be able to serve. Now, think about this just a moment. All they were called to do was basically serve the tables. They were to take care of the Hellenistic, the Grecian widows. That's all they had to do. And yet still in that, they were supposed to be qualified by being full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. Now, we didn't go into this a whole lot last week, but why in the world, if you're just serving tables, would you have to be full of the Spirit? Why would you have to be full of wisdom? I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There are some great people who serve tables. And many of them are are intelligent. Many of those take... I I don't take away from that task. But let's say we're in the nominating committee room. And we're sitting there and we're talking about uh, security maybe. And we're going to nominate people to drive around. Who's Somebody's driving around tonight? Bless their hearts. Driving their own truck. That is good. There's a heater in that truck, right? So let's say we're doing that. I mean, nominating committee, here we are around. We begin to think about people. And how, how many times would some of us, and even me, how many of us would say, now we want to make sure that we've got somebody full of the Holy Spirit, or we want to make sure that we've got somebody that's full of faith or full of wisdom. I mean, in those tasks, we'd, we just need a warm body right now. We need somebody, and not, not to take away from our security people, great people. They're out there sacrificing right now. 
But I'm saying to you that we are usually just thinking, what are, how could they serve in this way? But we're not thinking about the spirit. We're thinking about somehow that they have giftedness or talent. Maybe they're law enforcement or maybe they've done other things. And that's where we want to put them. Isn't it interesting that they say that these leaders who are just simply going away on tables, that even these people who are waiting on tables, they need to be guided by the Holy Spirit's work in their lives and they need to demonstrate wisdom. Because really, no matter what the task that we're called to do, the task that we're supposed to perform in the church, we should do it under the power, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we should be demonstrating wisdom and discernment. Because what's going to happen is God's going to take those menial small tasks and hopefully he's going to multiply them in opportunities for the gospel's advancement. Because now you see Stephen, who, yes, has worked on serving the tables, but now it says that here in this synagogue of freedmen, he is able to speak the message of Christ. Stephen. He's able to give a word of who Christ is. Now, this synagogue of the freedmen, perhaps um, made up of individuals that had been slaves or maybe their parents or grandparents had been slaves. Notice that they are from the, uh, many of them have gathered back to Jerusalem. They had been out in the, they had been spread out because of the diaspora and the Jews were all across the kingdom. And now they're coming back and they're in Jerusalem And that is a great opportunity for Stephen to bridge the gap between those who have had a background in Judaism now with this new opportunity to recognize the Messiah, the Christ. And he's speaking. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's being a witness of Christ. Remember that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what each disciple was supposed to do was give a witness of Christ. Remember that? They were to be witnesses of him. Whatever they were doing, wherever they were going. So here you have Stephen. He's waiting on the tables. He's ministering. He's a deacon. He was a deacon before they ever elected him one, obviously. He was already full of the Spirit. He already was demonstrating wisdom. And here he is taking opportunity to share the gospel. And you've got to love the way, verse, the way verse 10 records this, the way Dr. Luke records this for us. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit by which he spoke. But he, it was like he totally disarmed them. He was making his contention. They were trying to uh, debate with him. But it was as though they could not make any headway. See, this is, this is the important part of this. It's important for deacons. It's important for people who are ministering in the church to be full of wisdom, full of the Spirit. Because it's only through the Spirit and through the wisdom that he gives, that we are effectively able to communicate the gospel. And no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're doing, you should have an opportunity to proclaim Christ. 
all of us. Our deacon body. I met with some of our our 20 nominees this afternoon, visited with them. God's given us a great slate of individuals, a great class that will be presented to you. It's going to be hard for us to decide between those 20, to be quite honest with you. And they're at down to 10. But each one of them, each one of those who are currently serving, they are not called simply to make hospital visits. They're not simply called to um, take care of business. They're not called simply to work on maintenance issues. Those are all great things, and they're servants. They are called to proclaim the gospel. And you, as a believer, are called to proclaim the gospel. And we need to do it with such wisdom and by the power and the strength of the Spirit that when people come at us, they are disarmed, not by your intellect. And I know that many of you are very intelligent, but not by your intellect, not by your personality. And I know we have a lot of personalities in this church. I'll leave it at that, okay? But it's not that they're disarmed by your personality or your sense of wit or your... They are disarmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're disarmed by the wisdom that God himself can give and that only he can give. It says they argue with Stephen, but they can't resist the power of that teaching. Does it remind you of Jesus and his teaching? Remember, they would try to devise and craft questions that would trap him. They would try to work in such ways that they would catch him in some kind of issue that they could prosecute him for. And yet each time he was able to disarm them, each time people were amazed by the authority, the scripture says, the authority with which he taught. It is because... Jesus, full of wisdom, being God himself, was able to declare the good news. He was able to declare the truth of God the Father and the Spirit. He was able to accomplish these things. And now notice his disciple is able to accomplish the same as the Holy Spirit ministers through him. Well, great ministry, but it says that not everybody was impressed. They could not defeat him in argument, but they were not impressed. It says in verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. The word induced is a very strong word which uh, says that they were really trying to stir up the people. I mean, they were doing everything they could to stir up the people. Quite interesting here is that this synagogue, which was made up most likely of Jews who had returned home to Jerusalem, those who had been scattered before, but they had come home. In many ways, you and I would probably think that they would be less zealous for the law, 
especially compared to those who have been there all their lives. But according to most understandings, John Polhill, for example, says that those who had come home to Jerusalem were actually more nationalistic. They were more fervent in their devotion. That's the reason they had returned home. And they didn't want any kind of, they didn't want any kind of attack on their system or their culture. And they would respond more violently sometimes than those who had grown up in the very city uh, or, or the very nation of Israel. And it says here that they were going around inducing people to speak against him. We have heard him speak speak blasphemy and they stirred up the people the elders and the scribes and they came upon him seized him and brought him to the council the sanhedrin the governing council they also set up false witnesses who said this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law for we have heard him say that this jesus of nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which moses delivered to us again remind you of the charges that they made against christ same charge. They, they have false witnesses and they make some of the same charges. They say that Jesus will destroy this temple, going to destroy everything we've ever known, our culture and our customs. No indication that that was true. But yet the deceiver who was empowering all of these events had somehow led individuals to bring such falsehoods verse 15 and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel the idea is that the very presence of god shone from his face conjures up those images of the old testament moses coming down and still demonstrating the glow of God's glory upon his face and upon his life. And here's Stephen, even while most of us, most of us, we probably, our expressions would not have been the expressions of an angel here. Could you agree with me on that? Now, I know many of you have wonderful skin, it's beautiful. I'm not trying to offend you, but, I'm saying that when false charges are aimed at any of us, usually we would be pretty upset by it. And our face would somehow communicate it. Leslie has been on me for years. She said, you cannot control your emotions. You betray, you can look at you in the face and know exactly what you're thinking. I shouldn't have told you that because now you'll be looking at me more often. But it's one of the reasons a few years ago that I decided that I would not sit on the platform anymore. You know, there was a time, you remember in the church's life and even in my life, where during the service I would sit on the platform and I would stand there and I would sing. And and sometimes if I had grown aggravated, maybe at the music minister, never done this with you, Jeremy, before, but let's say before, you could tell, and Leslie's like, you know, so I'm just saying that If I had been sitting there and you had been sitting there and they were lodging false charges against us, most of us, our expressions would not have been that of an angel. We probably would have demonstrated 
disgust and disappointment. But it says here that even as the charges are lodged, even as the charges are lodged, that somehow the glory of God's presence surrounded this man and he demonstrated the grace of God. Again, like Jesus. Do you see now why it's so important that even though he was named to the menial task of waiting tables, that it was important for him to be full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit? Because here he was going to have this great opportunity. And what God does is he takes the faithfulness that we demonstrate in some of the small things and he gives us a greater context. And what he wants us to do is to lean upon him and allow the spirit to give us all that we need for those moments. And that we look at him in faith. Right now, right now in this situation, Stephen needs to trust God more than anything else in his life. He's sitting before the Sanhedrin. They're about, they've already threatened the disciples before. We've seen this in this study. They've already lodged complaints against them. They've threatened them. They've beaten them. Here he is sitting before this group and he's going to have to depend upon his faith, his trust that God, the God that he's been declaring, the God he's been ministering for, that this God is going to take care of him. And he's going to have to rely upon the power of the Spirit now to speak the truth. So in chapter 7, the high priest said, Are these things so? Well, you can tell, Stephen, sometimes I question this, actually. I know Stephen's a deacon, but he sounds more like a preacher here. Now, deacons can preach every now and then, right? You know some of them, right? But he is able to just put the story of God right before the council. Some of you are worried because you're thinking we're never going to get out if you read all this. Let me just read. I'm not going to make much statement. Just, just get a grasp of what he says because he really takes us in a, an abbreviated survey of the history of Israel. He said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God. And after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12, 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. And delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine, a great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. 
But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers. And Joseph's family's family became known to the Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and his fathers. They were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb there that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, he, he came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 days. And some of you still with me? Can you imagine the way this council was listening to Stephen? And they're kind of like, here, here are the rulers. Here are the people that know the background. They know the history. They've read all of it. Can you imagine they're sitting there, kind of like some of us there are tonight, kind of engaged, kind of half engaged, and they're, they're thinking to themselves, I know this stuff. What in the world? We ask him a question. And all of a sudden, he's given us this big sermon, and he's talking to us about our own history. This guy. I, perhaps they had even thought to themselves, this is one of those that comes from a Hellenistic type of environment, and yet here he is trying to tell us, those rulers of Jerusalem, about our history. But he continued on. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. 
saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness O house of israel you also took up the tabernacle of moloch and the star of your god remphan images which you made to worship and i will carry you away beyond babylon now they're sitting there thinking why did you have to bring that up stephen we know the history we understand what you said Yes, God is with us as a people because God was the one that spoke to Abraham. And I mean, God's with us. That's great. Why didn't you just leave it there, Stephen? But now what you've done is you've brought an indictment against us. And and you notice this. What Stephen is trying to do is say, understand God has always been with us as a people. And yet, if you look at us as a people, it's as though we've always rejected him and his voice. Case in point, Moses. You remember Moses? I mean, you're concerned that I am going to break the custom of Moses. But yet, it was the people of Israel who rejected the voice of Moses. Can I give you a little history lesson, Stephen says? Because when we were there in the wilderness, or even when we were about to cross the road, you remember that they complained. Those people, those are your granddaddies and great-granddaddies and great-grandmothers, they complained. They rejected him at one point. Now you want to venerate Moses, but in that moment, the people rejected him. He continued on. Our fathers had their tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As he appointed, instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers... Having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And now it turns interesting. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. See, it wasn't a long sermon after all, was it? You'd probably been happy if I'd just preached one of those tonight and you could have gone. Wasn't a long sermon, but very effective, the answer that he gives. He says, again, God's been with you, but every time God raised up somebody, a deliverer, a redeemer, if you will, like Moses... You rejected him. And you still reject him. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. It took a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit to utter those words. 
it still takes a man or a woman full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit to be able to stand in such boldness today. Because here was this council. The council that had condemned Jesus. The council again that had breathed threats against the other apostles. The council that had carried out beatings. Stephen looks at them and he gives them a history lesson. And he reminds them that God has worked. But the people have always been rebellious. And he turns it to their choice, to their decision. And he says, even now, he said, think about your fathers. Think about the way our ancestors, they rejected the prophets. They persecuted them. Prophets who told of greater days. Maybe he was thinking of Isaiah, who tradition says was sawn asunder, placed in a log and sawn in two at the command of an Israeli king. Maybe he was thinking about others who had been beaten. And he said, our track record is, as an institutionalized people, that we have rejected God's Redeemer and God's Messenger. And we've continued to do it even to this day because he was not going to back down from the message and the message was what? that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah that's the message and see the issue is if Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah if he was the new Moses if he was the Redeemer then once again the religious leadership had rebelled they had they had missed the voice of God And they had, in effect, murdered the son of life. You got to really thank God for a man like Stephen that would be able to stand and give such a message. Noting the consequences of what could and then what did occur says in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, get this, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I've always contended, I've always believed that when we have our eyes on the eternal things, we are able to stand with boldness and strength in the temporal things. When we can see that our purpose is eternal, when we realize that we're living for eternity, it gives us greater strength to be able to stand right now and face whatever comes at us. It helps us and encourages us to be faithful. He is able to see, it says, of what God has prepared. And it said 
and he said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. There, the son of man, Jesus Christ at the right hand, the place of authority before God himself, he says. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses lay down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This was not some sanctioned action that took place. This was not, some of you look and say, well, didn't they have to go before the Roman authorities? Wasn't that the big deal with Jesus and his death? The Sanhedrin couldn't put him to death. They had to take him to the Romans. Yes, that's the case. But here they have grown so angry. They have grown so hostile that they take vigilante justice upon Stephen. They take him out in a Jewish manner. They stone him. They stone Stephen as he was calling on God. It's tremendous. Because even as the stones were flying, get this, he was full of faith. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. And saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In these passages, the way Dr. Luke, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the way he records this, it should conjure again images of Christ and his death. As Christ cried out, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then in verse 60, it says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Again, remind you the death of Christ. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. The first martyr of the church. You know, you don't see his ministry. You don't see how long it is. You don't, you, you wrestle with this, or I do sometimes, look at Stephen's life and think to myself, you know, there Stephen was. He was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he demonstrated this all through. And I mean, God, I mean... You protected the other apostles and disciples. and But Stephen, I mean, Stephen speaks and he goes before them and he doesn't get a second chance. I mean, it's like they stone him. He, he dies. And yet, doesn't Stephen's testimony and work, even though it may be short-lived, here on this earth, doesn't it still touch eternal things in our lives today? Because here we are talking about Stephen. I mean, these thou, couple thousand years later, we're removed from Jerusalem, as I always remind you, and we're in Ruston, Louisiana, and yet here we're talking about Stephen, a deacon whom God honored. 
And I say to you again that the life of the disciple should always reflect the life of his Lord. And when you read through Stephen's ministry and his life, and I pointed out some of these, how even in his death, it reflected the death of his Lord. That the disciple in his life reflected the one that he was called to serve. And why, let me just ask, why would we expect our lives to look any different? If we have been called to serve him, now I'm not saying all of us have been called to die for him, or, but I'm saying to you that full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, we should be willing whatever it takes to demonstrate the life of Christ to others. And we should be praying and asking ourselves, does our life, does our life reflect the life of our Lord every day? Well, we're going to pick up later with this in a few weeks or so, but verse 58 briefly mentions it. Mentions it. We'll see it in chapter 8, verse 1, but it says, and the witnesses lay down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Don't want to go too far into it. Time's up. But Saul, who would become the greatest missionary outside of Jesus Christ. Saul, standing there watching the death of of Stephen, perhaps hearing this whole trial, understanding what's going on. Some even suggest that he could have been even a part of that synagogue because he came from Cilicia or he was part of these Cilician Jews. He could have been in that same synagogue where Stephen was, where he had heard him, where he had heard him speak. Saul, I believe he is impacted not only by the message in the ministry of Stephen, but by the martyrdom of Stephen. And one day when God will intervene in his life and call this rebel to be a part of his family, I believe that God will use this experience in his ministry and in his mission. You see, Stephen did not die in vain. You never die in vain when you die for him. Stephen's life and legacy will play out in Saul's life, the Apostle Paul. It'll play out in the early church's life as people spread out preaching the gospel, we'll see. And even today, the ministry, the message, and the martyrdom of Stephen reverberates in our lives and in our testimonies. May God use a man full of faith and full of power. May God use him to encourage us. And may we be the people. When we go into our offices tomorrow or into our schools tomorrow, when we go into wherever God leads us tomorrow, may we be the people full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, reflecting the life of our Lord in all that we do. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For the encouragement, the challenge you give us through your word. 
Father, thank you that even this day, you challenge us to live lives full of faith and full of the Spirit. God, we pray that tomorrow, that we as your children, we as your servants, that our lives would reflect you in all that we do. Bless us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we have this moment of invitation?